Welcome to Deck Picks Podcast. This is a podcast where a group of friends gets together to talk about their commander decks, how we built them, how they played, and what we might change in future decks. If you want to know more about the deck that we're talking about today, take a look at our Moxfield account where we share the deck list as well as all of the suggestions that we talk about. Want to hear more about how our games are going and what cards may have made the difference in the win? Follow us on some of our socials at Deck Picks Pod. Now let's jump in. Oh, thanks for joining us on Deck Picks Podcast. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Prosper Tomebound. It's Martin's deck. Um, to get things started off, though, I'm going to go around and introduce our our lovely panel for the day. And um, uh, we've started this thing where I ask a question, and it's uh, there is a right answer, and um, only I know it. Uh, Nick, we're going to start with you. If you're ordering a Blizzard from Dairy Queen, who is not a sponsor. What's that blizzard? You only get one. Oh, God, that's a hard question, Bill. Um, I think I got to go. I think I got to go cookie dough. Hmm. Cookie okay. dough blizzard sounds sure. really good. Sure, that's wrong, but that's fine. Uh, <laughs> that's wrong. Uh, Aaron, your choice? The go-to is Oreo. That's the one that cannot be beat. There's, it's always consistent. But when I want something different, s'mores is... Oh, seasonal okay. flavor that I will okay. okay. But or- Oreo is it's the king. You or can, queen. You can't go head. wrong, I guess. Uh Martin, what are you picking? Oh well let me tell you this. I'm gonna get an Oreo Blizzard That's with cookie dough, right? <laughs> and then the secret ingredient on any blizzard is the graham cracker. You add graham cracker to any yep. blizzard. Game changer. I believe it. Quick, I believe quick it. question for you there, Martin. Did you combine all of our Blizzard choices just to butter us up before we talk about your deck, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. what was your plan oh. there? Hey, don't worry about it. We're always playing the table, okay? That is exactly what you did, is you just combined those options. Uh, there is an important difference between if you're having graham crackers added or the graham cracker base, which is kind of like liquefied graham cracker. Most Wait, people don't what? know the difference in a Blizzard. Yeah, it's a thing. Um, that's, that's just a little, little tidbit for you. No, I like a little crunch in it because the, the, the soft serve gets too soft. So it's nice sure. to have a little bit of crunch sure. in there. Um, I will say that if I'm picking a blizzard for myself, um, just because I've got a little bit of flexibility with it, I generally go with Oreo with a pump of peanut butter in there because it's peanut butter Oreo, um, which is really just the great way to do it. So moving quickly along we're going to be talking about martin's deck prosper tonebound today um martin i think it's important that we kind of go into a little bit of the history um of your very short history with magic so far so give us your history and kind of how you landed on prosper because prosper was your first deck yeah that's that's exactly right bill so i started playing magic in late april 2023 i didn't want to play i was forced into playing uh by aaron and bill one night uh before we we had gotten together for some other shenanigans and then had decided that we were gonna play some magic and the first deck that i ever played was tyler and we'll we'll get into that deck at a later time but after that weekend, I realized that I, I wanted to start playing a little bit more Magic. So 
I <laughs> a little bit more, a yeah, little bit more magic. So what I did is I went on the internet, started googling, watching YouTube videos, and quickly realized there are two important things in magic, and that is staying on curve, drawing cards. And so I was looking at prospective commanders, and Prosper popped up, and I thought, one, it's extremely popular at the time, and I knew it was powerful, and that was nice being new, and two. It does everything that I want to do, but I think it does it in a way that allows me to shape the deck the way I want to build it. So for those of you that don't know, Prosper is two colorless, a swamp, and a mountain. It has Death Touch as a 1-4, and at the beginning of your end step, exile the top card of your library. Until the end of your next turn, you may play that card. So that's going to give you your draw. And then the next piece, and this one is arguably more important, is whenever you play a card from Exile, you create a treasure token. So this card is really known for the fact that not only are you going to get to draw your extra cards, but you're going to be rewarded with extra mana for it. And uh, I've played it more than any other deck I have. Obviously, it was my first, but I think I've played it probably three times the amount of any other decks, and I've really enjoyed playing it. Uh, to give you a little bit of context, since it's like you're reading my thing, you've played it twice as much as your second most played deck. So Prosper is your number one with 18 game played at the date of recording. 18? Um, and Gearson, which was the second deck that you built, uh, you've played nine times. So yeah, you, you've, you've put some time in with, with Prosper. What's its win rate? <laughs> Prosper's win rate, uh, if we're really just going to dive into the stats right now, is sitting at 33% win rate. So it has won six games, taken Man. second place seven wow. games. Um, and it is also the leading deck just purely in number. So, I mean, it gets skewed a little bit for games played or whatever. Uh, but leading all decks with kills. Um, so player eliminations, it is sitting at 21 right now. I wish so you all could uh, see the smile on Martin's face right now. During this whole deck. It sounds about right now. <laughs> so I, I want to explain where a lot of these kills come from because Prosper's gone through several iterations at this point. I think the first thing that came to mind when I was first learning about Magic was that I needed a win condition. And I didn't really understand win conditions at that time. And when you Google win conditions in Magic... You might have a couple things come up, like infinite combos, um, but I just didn't understand the game enough to do that. So I went with X spells because I knew I was going to be building a lot of treasure tokens, so I was going to have a lot of mana to dump at one time. So I believe the first card that I bought for the deck was Torment of Hailfire, and we talked about that in our last episode with Git, because you still run Git, Nick, in, uh, or you still run Torment in Git, right, Nick? I do. Yeah, so that is an X spell plus two swamp that says repeat the following process X times. Each opponent loses three life unless that player sacrifices a non-land permanent or discards a card. Um, it's probably regarded as one of the top three win conditions um, in terms of X spells. I had gotten it off, I think, three times in-game. Never won with it, but after about the third time maybe even the second time, I kind of realized that Prosper could be more than just casting X spells. Now, I still have an X spell on this deck. Um, and it's a little bit of a more unique one. That's why I left it in the deck. Um, and that one is called, let me just find it here, Crackle with Power. And so this is three 
X spells, and then two mountains. And it says, this card deals five times X damage to up to X targets. So unlike Torment, where if, if I have 20 mana, I can drop Torment for 18, and everybody is essentially going to lose that game. Crackle with Power takes a little bit more thought process just because I need to figure out how many opponents I want to hit because I'm going to deal X damage to X opponents. So it's got to be a multiple of three for easy math for the X's. So I need at least 14 mana if I want to hit three targets. Is that making sense to you guys? I don't know how mm-hmm. best to yeah. explain it. No, it so I, I left that in the deck. Um, another basic X spell that is still in the deck, Exsanguinate, you're paying X uh, and then I want to say one swamp and two swamp. Two. Each opponent loses X life and you gain life. You know, you equal e- to the life loss that way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's just a, a very basic X spell that can be used not just as a win condition, but if you're low on life. Great card. I think Git runs that one as well. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> yeah. Um. So those two X spells are still in the deck, but now I've transitioned into more of an attack type deck just because I felt like yes. the way... I don't know. <laughs> Why don't you ask my kill count? Okay. Oh, man. Um, with power, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the way I've kind of transitioned more into an attack style deck is I threw in cards like Beamtown Beatstick, which is just a mountain. It says equipped creature gets plus one, plus zero, has menace. And whenever an equipped creature deals combat damage to a player, you create a treasure token. So with that, you got to remember Prosper has death touch. So even as a one four, you don't find a lot of people that want to sacrifice their creatures to Prosper. But now I'm giving it menace. And I'm going to get a treasure token every time it deals combat damage to a player. And I have other cards in the deck that are going to help me out with that sort of thing. But the the main emphasis is I want to build up treasure tokens still. But I want to be able to attack people. And I still want to cast spells and essentially just try to kill people in any way possible now rather than just casting those big X spells. Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that I was looking at just going through your deck list and then remembering that you had built this deck by buying the the pre-constructed deck and i was going through the deck list like "Ah, that definitely didn't come in it you know this definitely didn't come in it so i i went ahead and took just a little peek to see what was left of the the pre-con and uh prosper (laughs) was was a notable one um discounting the basic lands um, which you also cut three lands out of the precon because I believe the precon came with 39. You're at, sitting at, I believe, 36 lands. Um, you have 19 cards remaining. Most of those cards are going to be the, um, at, not most, a good chunk of those cards are going to be the, the non-basic lands that came with the pre-con because they're in the right colors and they're on basic for a reason, but even some of those didn't make the cut. Uh, you kept soul ring. You kept Itali, uh, chaos warp. I mean, yeah, you kept, you kept like, less Itali than 20%. In the list. It did. Yeah. It's, it's dropped considerably in price. I think it's like 71 cents now. Itali is. 
so yeah, I mean, it, you kept some lands and a few cards, and that's it. Like, this is not the precon that... Prosper is the only part of the pre- precon that really survived. That That is true. And, and the thing about precons is I, I would recommend to anyone to start with the precon because I think deck building takes just a lot of knowledge of the game in general. But essentially now when I look at a deck, if I ever buy a precon, it's going to be looking at the commander and then how many of the cards in the deck are going to be viable. And so I think when I counted last, because I went through Prosper a couple of weeks ago before we decided we were going to do this, and I had six cards not counting lands that were originally in the precon. And that includes instants such as Terminate, which is just a mountain in a swamp that says destroy target creature. It can't be regenerated. So you've got cards like that. So you're right. Really Prosper is the only thing left in the deck from the original precon. But a big reason for that, I think, is because one of the win conditions that is now in the deck is specifically pertaining to artifact creation and deletion and i think if you're listening to this podcast you're probably aware that mirkwood bets just came out in the lord of the rings pre-con um three colorless in a swamp it has flying whenever you create or sacrifice a token each opponent loses one life so there are turns when i use cards like zorn which says if you create one treasure token instead you create an additional treasure token so two treasure tokens when there are turns where i'm creating five or six or maybe even 10 treasure tokens in one turn, all of a sudden I'm creating 10 and I can sack 10 in one turn and I can take 20 life in one go. So I've got cards like Mirkwood Bats, Nadir's Nightblade, which says whenever a token you control leaves a battlefield, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. It's doing the exact same thing. I've got Disciple of the Vault for a, just a swamp that says whenever an artifact is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, you may have a target opponent lose one life. If you stack any of those cards up, and none of those came in the in the precon. You're going to be dealing massive amounts of damage without having to do really any work because you're already going to be casting cards from exile, and you're going to use the treasure tokens to do it, or you're going to just sack the treasure tokens to deal the damage. So those are the types of things that I leaned into, and as a result, I, I removed a lot of the precon. Um, but a tally primal storm, just to be clear, four colorless and two mountains for whenever. A tally Primal Storm attacks, exile the top card of each library, and then you may cast any number of those spells without paying their mana cost. Yeah. You're getting a treasure token for each one of those, and they're being cast for free. I mean, you can't turn that down. No, absolutely. I Looking at this list again, and I looked at it quite heavily over the week um, before leading up to the podcast, I just really like the versatility in the deck. Like, the list itself, it looks like you really obviously leaned into, you know, creating and sacking treasures for damage, but also there's some real staying power in this deck. Um, just looking at it. I mean, you've got... God, where do I even start with this? Like, I mean, Atali's huge. Man. Yeah. <laughs> looking at every, I mean, everything is just... It's a very tight token-generating list um, that is... I mean, based on the stats, you've got great staying power with this deck. I really like brash taunter in this deck for some reason i i i'm kind of curious as to why it's in the deck list but i i mean i really like this card it's a um four colorless one mountain one one indestructible that says whenever brash taunters dealt damage it deals that much damage to target opponent and then he can pay uh, two colorless and a mountain to tap 
and then he fights another target creature. Can you, can you run me through the, the thought process for, for this in the deck? Yeah, absolutely. So, obviously, I've played Prosper a lot, 18 times, mm-hmm. I think Bill said. Um, and I, through that time, I've just been able to realize what some of the weaknesses are in the deck and try to combat those weaknesses. And one of the things originally with Prosper, and, and still now, is that I'm not going wide with my board state. So that mm-hmm. means at times I'm susceptible to just being smacked right in the face. And usually that's from Aaron. He likes to come out fast when I'm True. playing Prosper True. and try to he kill does. me by turn six because he knows I run a lot of control in this deck because of the fact I don't always have a huge board state with attackers. So Brash Taunter is just one of those security blankets that I can throw out there and use as a blocker if I need be. Now, it doesn't have flying, which I've tried to add flyers to this deck. But in that same vein, one of the cards that I still have in my considering is Cunning Rhetoric. And it's going to work to achieve this same defensive strategy. It's two colorless in a swamp that says whenever an opponent attacks you and or one or more planeswalkers you control... Exile the top card of that player's library. You may play that card for as long as it remains exiled, and you may, uh, and mana of any type can be spent to cast it. So, it is, I think it's specifically good in Prosper because it's going to allow me to cast from exile, but then also people need to think about, well, maybe they don't need to, but I think people are less likely to attack me if they know that they're going to lose one of their cards for it. Because, one, they don't want me to play their cards. But, two, if that's one of their win conditions, they don't want to lose that. And maybe that doesn't matter to them, but maybe it does exactly what I need it to do, and it saves me for one turn, and it allows me to flip the top card of my library into exile, and then that next turn I have a chance to to win the game. So it's really anything I can do to just save me for one more turn if I need to. And it also yeah. plays into the sub-theme of, of stealing other people's cards, which is a, a fun little part of this deck that I've really been trying to work in. Yeah. And there was also a, like, another... Oh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. There's another card I was just looking at, too, that I, I remember talking to you about um, earlier, but Dream Devourer, a uh, one-cost... Or, I'm sorry, a one-colorless, one-swam, zero-three, that gives each non-land card in your hand uh, four-tell. Four-tell is uh, during your turn, you can pay two and exile it from your hand face down. Then you can cast it later for its turn for its foretell cost. So I think that's huge. It plays into, you know, Prosper's exile theme. Um, and you get to play pretty much any any card turns and, and makes treasure tokens for you at that point because you're casting them from exile. So I think that's a, a sol- like just a solid card in, in the deck. And, it, you know, it's so cheap to, to play and being able to cast everything for Fortel is, I think, huge in this deck. Kind of going back to Brash Taunter, too, um, and your staying power, I kind of like that it has Indestructible, and it's a 1-1, so it's not going to, probably not going to decide the fate of the game. But you used to run a ton of board wipes. In fact, I feel like when you started playing with us at the table, you had a lot of board wipes in your deck. I know you had Damnation on the list, which is two colorless and two swamps destroy all creatures. They can't be regenerated, I think. Maybe it's just destroy all creatures. I can't think of it. No, that, that's correct. That. That's correct. And um, I think you really, to, from my chair, you kind of shaped the meta at the table, so to speak, 
for a while there because you were wiping the board so often and it was really making it kind of a slog in, in not in a bad way but just in the fact that i i don't think anybody was running as much removal or control as you were and it really shifted how people were playing at the table and then also how they were tweaking their decks and so brash Tarner being able to stay on the field that entire time and then also playing into something like a blasphemous act that'll deal 13 damage to the whole table um, to all the creatures at the table and hitting somebody for that. I, I think it's a smart play. I do also like the fact that it's not... It's one of those cards that like you're talking about. It has the utility of uh, protecting you, um, but also it's not super synerg- synergistic. And, I mean, I love synergy in my decks, but I also like to see cards that aren't synergistic or 100% synergistic just because it's nice to get those kind of quirky cards that you're not going to see on every single Prosper list or every single list of, you know, this color or this commander. And so it's a really good card, and it's also just a card that I think is kind of spruces up the the list a little bit for me. Yeah, and and to that original point, I was running a lot of board wipes in this deck. At at one point, I had eight board wipes, and... Right. It, it was a lot. And what I've realized recently, and by recently, I mean within probably the past two weeks, which we've only gotten <laughs> to play one time since then, um, is that that can really affect the table's experience when we play. And I don't know if it ever got to the point where people just didn't enjoy seeing Prosper, but I, I personally felt like that needed to change a little bit. So I've added more spot removal. Mm-hmm. Um to deal with issues when they come up, but that doesn't mean I need to, to stop everyone else's game. You still have four, at least four board, uh, board wipes in the deck. So you're not, it's not like it's lacking. Um, I could, I can only speak for myself when I say that I, I don't think it was ever oppressive or anything like that in terms of how many board wipes you were running. I just think, and I've tried to give you credit that the cards you were running and the way you were playing this deck, especially as a new player really helped to change how, I think the rest of us were playing the game at the time. Yeah, I would totally uh, agree with that. I, I think that's that is admirable. And I appreciate that. And speaking of not board wipes, but there is one card that I specifically want to talk about because it's a card that I'm now in love with. And I haven't been able to play it yet because, like I said, we've only played once in the last two weeks. But I can't wait to play Choice of Damnations which is five colorless in a swamp that says target opponent chooses a number. You may have that player lose that much life. If you don't, that player sacrifices all but that many permanents. Oh, please. <laughs> now, in practice, I don't know what's going to happen when this card comes down on the board. I don't know what number is going to be picked, but I just cannot wait to see what happens to somebody when it does. Who are you picking first? I mean, On, on the spot, who are you picking first? I, I'm probably going to have to pick Aaron, but only oh. because... You know, Weird. he's he's got the mental fortitude to overcome it, right? <laughs> Thank God, what a card. Mm-hmm. This is from, this that's from an interesting Gabigal. choice. Yeah, uh, yeah it's going to go it's, it's a nasty card. That, see, that's another card that I feel like... I mean, it's... It's uh, it's a funky card. I my <clears throat> I'll tell you right now, my little... My gripe with treasure decks, and I have a treasure deck myself is, and this is no fault of, of anybody's, except for, I guess, Wizards of the Coast, uh, it, there is a there's a part of me that feels like treasures are just too good. 
and then also some of the cards in some of the prevalent colors are just too good. So mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Why wouldn't you run Merkwood Bats in a deck that is just pumping out treasure tokens? And so I, I have a deck. It used to be a Vazi Key Negotiator deck. Now it's a Zayator, the Incinerator deck. That's also heavily um, built around treasures. And so I'm see, I see a lot of the same cards. Which again, isn't a, man. I don't like. Why? Why wouldn't you run these cards? Like you would be a fool not to. So seeing something like choice of damnations i'm not gonna see that in any other deck yeah that is i mean that is so refreshing to see and like so fun to see i hope you well i hope you don't pick me but i hope I you do pick say, me fun to see it now in the deck list not as fun when it hits the table because that, but, but that's a card that like, i'm never gonna play around so when it hits the board i'm gonna be gobsmacked and that's gonna be fun like that that'll be a blast like I, i'm i'm really happy to see that even though Prosper is a popular commander um, who is a really big value engine and it can be really easy to kind of just take the most efficient and synergistic cards to put in the deck. You're finding ways to put in interesting, fun, and potent cards to no detriment to how the deck plays at the table. That's, I mean, hats off to you there. Absolutely. And I think to that point too, I mean, talking about funky cards this actually does kind of stick i mean with the theme of the treasures and and everything in your deck but i feel like whenever you cast reckless endeavor at the table it's always bonkers Mm. and reckless endeavor for those that don't know is a five uh, colorless two mountain sorcery that says roll 2d12 and choose one result Uh, reckless endeavor deals damage equal to that result to each creature then create a number of treasure tokens equal to the other result. Yep. It's just always a bonkers result. You always roll high on it. It's always either a board wipe and you get eight eight treasure tokens, or it, I just I, yeah. I, I love and hate that card every time. I, I swear, the rare times that I get it off in my deck that I have it, you in, roll two. So. It, I run one and a three, or one yeah, and a two, and it's, it's like, great. well, say, thanks for the the seven mana there. I just really love the. Man the the randomness of that card but also the high potency of it i mean you're dumping seven mana to play it but i mean i i'm a i'm a a flip coin player i play zinder split no cone so i i have a a soft spot in my heart for any chaos cards that are coming down that have some crazy outcomes to them so I, i really appreciate that one in this deck yeah i mean that is hands down my favorite card in this deck so and and we brought it up i i think during heated sugu with bill um and i i talked about it being one of my favorite cards it always will be and i'll let you guys know that came in the deck okay nice. so chalk one up mm, it's so good um but then i'll give you a shout out nick too because and well i'll give you a shout out i was running this card before you but um <laughs> Braids, Eris, and Nightmare. A colorless and two swamp. You've got it and get. Um, at the beginning of your end step, you may sacrifice an artifact, creature, enchantment, land, or planeswalker. If you do, each opponent may sacrifice a permanent that shares a card type with it. For each opponent who doesn't, that player loses two life and you draw a card. I've got plenty of artifacts to sack in this deck, uh-huh. right? So then someone else has got to decide, well, do I want to sacrifice generally a soul ring or some other mana rock? Or am I going to lose the two life and let, you know, me draw the card? And what results is I'm always drawing at least two cards, if not yeah. more. And the more we bring up Braids, Arisen Nightmare, the more I think we just understand how much of a value engine she is. I'm surprised that 
somebody hasn't run her as a commander yet at our pod, but I feel like we've been seeing her pop up in more and more decks. She's just, she just, she just does everything, man. She, she's so good at what she does. And yeah, I, I, I don't see you drawing less than two cards every time um, with this card. So great, great addition. Yeah, so with that, I, I want to jump into a couple of the suggestions. And the first one that I want to jump into, and I thought that, yeah, two of you, so both Aaron and Nick suggested this card, and I've been looking at it. It's one of the new cards that came out in Commander Masters called Guff Rewrites History, Two Colorless uh-huh. and a Mountain. For each player, choose it. Oh, man, this is going to be long. So It's a paragraph. <laughs> can, can, I'll, I'll read it. For, for the listeners, I'll do it. For each player, choose a target non-enchantment, non-land permanent that player controls. Those permanents' owners shuffle them into their libraries. Each player who controlled one of those permanents exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card, then puts the rest on the bottom of their library in any random order. Each player may cast a non-land card they exiled this way without paying its mana cost. What a bonkers card. (laughs) It is. Essentially what you have here is a chaos warp. Mm-hmm. For every player at the table, including yourself. Yep. Mm-hmm. So when I play this, chances are I'm going to have an artifact that I can ditch, and I'm going to get a card off Token. the top of my yeah. I, yeah. I got treasure. Yeah. Yeah. Did I say yeah? Artifact. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get a card. I'm going to get a treasure token back. So I'm not losing anything. And then mm-hmm. I'm going to get to take threats off the board. And now hopefully, I mean that's the roll of the dice. Someone might get something really nasty out. But it's a it's a flip of a coin. Yeah, but I think I think when you when you play. Uh, a card like Guffrey or its history or a chaos warp it, you should be playing it in a manner the best way to play a card like that in my opinion is you are targeting something that there is no other threat I mean obviously yeah. you can't play around whether or not somebody has a, I don't know a blightsteel colossus in their deck I guess but mm-hmm. you should still be you shouldn't be targeting something that you're like, oh, hopefully they don't pull something worse. Like, you're targeting the worst thing. And if you don't target that, that's going to mess your game plan up. So I don't I don't subscribe to the idea of like, oh, man, you really shouldn't have guff rewrites history my X card or my Chaos Warped my, you know, Y card because now I pulled this out because really the card that you should be tucking away is such a threat to you winning the game that you can't really yeah. play around whatever else they're going to draw into. Plus, you get it for each player. So, I mean, yeah. it, it's it's too much value to pass up at, for yeah, three it's mana. Especially it's the good. same converted <laughs> mana cost as Chaos Warp. Like, yeah, that's that's, that's the thing that's crazy to me is, like, it it could have just been a four cost. Make it a little more pricey because you're getting each player. But at the same time, and it works even better with Prosper because you may cast it from Exile, whereas Chaos Warp is you just put it onto the field. So, like, even if you were to Chaos Warp yourself try to get something else onto the board, I, you're going to get more value out of Guffrey Wright's history. Yeah, Such a I, I completely agree. And then looking at um, Bill's suggestion, Bill suggested a card that is already in the wish list on TCG, and it's Wand of Wanderer for three colorless and a mountain. 
I can pay for and tap to roll a d20. Each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile an instant or sorcery card, then shuffles the rest into their library. You may cast up to X instant and sorcery spells from among the exiled cards without paying their mana cost. Now, if X is 1, I can... Or if I roll 1 to 9, X is 1. 10 to 19, X is 2. And if I roll a 20, X is 3. This card hits every theme of the deck that I want. Now, it's expensive, so I have to keep that in mind. But I'm going to get to play cards from exile, at least one. Mm -hmm. I get to take them from my opponents, which just makes me happy in general. But also, (laughs) I get to roll a die. And I love rolling the die just because I don't know what's going to happen. And that's all I can hope for is just a little bit of fun interaction in the game. And if I can steal Nick's, you know, tutor or maybe one of his many pieces to the infinite combo, that's even better. All right. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, wand of water. I was looking at that. Okay. It's the wand of water. <laughs> I, I was looking at it and like, it hurts a little bit to read that tag of paying four to tap it. But then you think about, you've got, essentially a 50% chance of getting two treasure tokens back because you're casting two spells for free and you're getting the value of whatever those spells are that you exiled just onto the board. So, I mean, it, it pays off in the long run because you're getting, yeah. you're getting a little bit of that, that value back and you get to roll some math rocks. And well, and Rolling dice is so great, especially when we play magic. <laughs> it is. And not to mention the fact that I'm looking for instants or sorceries in someone else's deck. So what I'm doing potentially is I'm taking away removal from somebody that is only going to benefit my game. And I think that that is an underrated part of this card that I didn't see. I'd never seen this card before. So I'm so thankful that Bill put it on here. Because like I said, it's going to go in the deck. It's just a matter of when because I'm on a hiatus right now. Isn't, Isn't that what you... Isn't that how you won that first game against H&K? Uh, by stealing its cards. So the way I did that is with another another favorite in the deck that is expensive, but it actually came in the deck. It is six colorless, a mountain and a swamp, so eight mana for Fevered Suspicion, which is a sorcery that says each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until they exile a non-land card. And I can cast any number of them without paying their mana cost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then it has Rebound, which says if you cast a spell from your hand, exile it as it resolves. And at the beginning of your next upkeep, you may cast it from exile without paying yeah. its mana cost. When that's, you, uh, that's something. <laughs> I, from Aaron, got a card that gave me an extra turn. And when I got to cast Fevered Suspicion twice in a row and get treasure tokens from it because I had two turns in a row, it was game-wrecking. It was amazing. And I've been seeking that high ever since. Seeing um, rebound, too, that's a, that's a mechanic that maybe needs to be more involved in. <laughs> I don't know how much, uh, how much more rebound is in black and red, but that's, a uh, that's something. Um, speaking of Bill's considering list, I want to challenge your Chisagoria Forge Tyrant. Oh, God, here we go. Just because... That, now, there... Martin has tweaked the deck to a point where there are eight artifacts in there. A lot of them are, they're all mostly equipment. He has soul ring in there for mana rock. But other than that, it's all equipment, which is good. And the equipment's really good, but Chiscoria is six colorless and three mountains for a legendary dragon, five, four. It has affinity for artifacts. So I believe, um, 
the amount of artifacts you have lowers the cost. Colorless. Oh yeah, the, the colorless cost of the, yeah. of it. So essentially, in Prosper, you're probably paying three mountains for a five four legendary dragon with flying and haste. And Chiscoria also has. Whenever Chiscoria Forge Tyrant attacks, exile the top five cards of your library. You may cast an artifact spell from among them this turn. If you do, it has affinity for artifacts. That is good. Like, there's a good chance that you're probably you might hit one of these really good equipments um, and casting it from Exile for free and making a treasure token. My beef with it is twofold. Artifacts are two or three costs. So the affinity for artifacts doesn't matter a lot, except for with Gonti's Aether Heart, which is a six cost. But more so the fact that you're exiling the top five cards of your library and you're not shuffling those other ones back in or putting them in your graveyard. So you're just losing those cards. And and I think that could be really dangerous for the small amount of payoff that you're getting with a treasure token and potentially one of these really good equipments. I just, I guess I'm just skeptical that losing potentially four cards that you like, imagine exiling Crackle of Power when you've got 15 treasure tokens. That's not going to feel good. So I do think that's one where I like Chisgoria for treasure and and artifact decks, but I think it belongs in a deck that like really cares about pulling artifacts from your, from your library. So you kind of jumped ahead a little bit. I actually pulled an Aaron Hollingstead and put that in there as a note to myself to talk about like, this was a different direction that Martin potentially could have taken. Not suggesting a different commander because, um, that's not what i do but that was one thing that i had been looking because what i try to do when we're looking at these podcasts is i take the commander and i kind of think about the direction that i would take the deck before i really dig deep into um before i dig too deep into the actual deck list and stuff i kind of try to contextualize it for myself Mm -hmm. um and so one of the things that i had looked at is um, going more of an artifact route. And maybe it's because I had been looking at Jiskoria for myself for like, it's an interesting deck and stuff. It's I'm never going to make it, but it'd be cool. You should. Um, But that was something to where, I mean, there are a lot of artifacts and I think that Prosper kind of lends itself to an artifact creation deck. It's, it's a direction to go. So that was one, one thing that I know, um, it's a different sub theme that I was going to kind of mention is like, this is kind of the direction that I would have gone if I had made it. I think it's probably, I don't think it's a better direction um, than the direction that Martin took prosper, but that, that was in there, not necessarily as a suggestion. It could work. It wouldn't be the worst. Um, But yeah, that was, that was more a note of myself of saying, Hey, do this commander instead, or put a suboptimal card in. You could gotcha. just, you could put them in there. Feel free. I'd like to go back to uh, circle back to a card that Aaron kind of glossed over that I'm reading for the first time and need to talk about uh, Gonti's Aetherheart. Is the it six cost? <laughs> the six cost artifact, legendary artifact. Are you kidding me with this thing? Saying whenever you've seen it before. Gonti... Okay, have I? Yeah. Whenever uh, Gonti's Aetherheart or another artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you get two energy counters. You can pay, what is that, eight energy counters and Six. exile it? No, it's eight. 
Still eight. You made that mistake last time you played it. You should read the card. It explains it. Um, Exile Gonti's Aether Heart. Take an extra turn after this one. So that's bonkers. That could just happen the same turn you'd put it out. Well, that's that's the plan, right? Because (laughs) I can easily create, especially if you got something like Reckless Endeavor, I can easily create eight treasure tokens. Um, So Four. All you need. (laughs) You get two for each one. Yeah. Reading the card explains the card. I mean... <laughs> exactly right. I haven't got to play it yet. That's my it's issue. A, it's a ridiculous card for treasure. What a ridiculous decks. card. And I think it's one I think it's one Vazi a couple of games. Vazi slash Saitora. Because Ooh. it is, yeah, you're just generating so many Jeepers. treasure tokens. Like it's Great just it's basically, yeah. That does cost a bit, but again, you're making enough mana um, that I think is probably... No, exactly. I mean, yeah. That's... That's fantastic. That's wow. Good card. Well, and, and what you have to remember too is specifically with Ganti. So you get two energy counters right when it right. enters the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And if I'm oh. playing that from exile, well, guess what? That means I already have four of the eight, and that's just right off the bat. Assuming I've got nothing else going on for me. So wait, the chi- no, because you're casting Gantis from exile triggering prosper prosper's trigger and happens first the treasure comes in then gantis comes in i think you're right about that actually yeah i think you might be right about that if i'm thinking about it so that's that's fair that doesn't know how many energy counters it costs just knows how the stack works that is a small price to pay you're not gonna have to worry about that one little treasure (laughs) no it's a bad card take it out it's no good Uh, should just give it to me speaking (laughs) of the cost of that though uh, i'm still going on bill's list i like light up the stage because one thing about this deck right now the average mana value without lands is 3.98 so basically four which is quite a bit especially like you were saying at the beginning of the show you if somebody's attacking you fast and coming right out to get you to put you on your back foot like it can be hard for you to to rev up and there's been a few games unless we all have them it just happens in the game of magic um where you haven't found not even the cards you needed you just haven't found cards at all like you just haven't gotten the cards to really get your engine going and i feel like uh Bill's suggestion of light up the stage, which is two colorless and a mountain for a sorcery. Um, exile the top two cards of your library until the end of your next turn. You may play those cards, but it has a spectacle cost of one mountain, and you may cast a spell for its spectacle cost rather than its mana cost if an opponent lost life this turn. Which you said you're trying to do, you know, attack more, so there's a good chance that they're going to lose life, and that's just going to instead of having to rely on the one extra card with Prosper, now you've got three extra cards and it's bringing down your, your average mana cost, which, you know, in a vacuum doesn't matter that much, but it is just going to help you dig deeper for when you need, especially you've had a few games where you have not found lands. So being, being able to hit two more cards deep in your deck um, off the top for one mountain and potentially hitting a land that you're, then you're going to play for, for on curve for treasure like that can just get you right back in the game or keep you ahead. I I think those sorts of things uh, that's feels more like a vegetable card in this deck where like it, it's not going to be as sexy as something like uh Gandhi's Either Heart, which I'm not suggesting you swap them out for, but it is something that you might want to 
take into consideration just to make sure you're getting a little bit more consistency with the deck. So you're not having to worry about like, oh man, well, I just didn't get my land this game. Or, oh, well, if I had just gotten this card, it's just going to help you dig deeper into the deck so that you're hitting those lands more often or you're getting those cards more often. No, I, I completely agree. And so Light Up the Stage was in this deck at one point. And I took it out of the deck specifically because I was never getting to that spectacle cost because I was never attacking. I When I originally built this deck, like I said, there was a bunch of board wipes. I absolutely never, ever attacked. Yep. Uh, still killed people, for the record, just didn't attack. We know. Uh, <laughs> right. So that that's the hard part about making these edits. I have a, you know, a literal stack of cards that I've taken put in and taken out of this deck mm-hmm. and that's one that has just slipped through the cracks it's like looking at it now now that i'm doing combat damage and understand the game a little bit more more nuanced that's a card that's just got to be in the deck right i, uh, I mean there's no and, and part of it too is maybe when i took it out of the deck i didn't fully understand the whole post combat main phase yeah. all that well yeah uh, so these are all all great points well, i mean I, I agree i also think that n- now You've got a little bit. You've got more of those, um, those pingers that are the deck that deal like the one damage whenever you create. Like Merkwood backs that create. You deal one damage or opponent loses one life when you create or sack a token. So now you've got Merkwood bats out with Prosper. You play something from Exile at the top start of your turn. Somebody lost life. So now you're just getting basically a two card draw for one. You're not going to beat that trade in Magic. Like that's a really you're not going to be that blue, trade. even. So yeah, so I, I definitely think that that's one of those cards where it, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, I guess it's an uncommon, but you know, it's a thirty cent card. It's it doesn't seem that flashy or that exciting, but I really think it could be. Uh, it could just really help you a little bit, you know, even a fraction of a percent getting better with no, the deck I, or like. I com- deck. I completely agree, and, and that brings up a larger point that I wanted to talk about with both this deck and other decks in general. So I run 36 lands in this deck. I'd go down to 32. Well, in, in all seriousness, I've had it at lower before. I've had it at 34 because in, in my mind, what I have with this deck, if I'm generating treasures and I'm drawing cards, I'm going to find lands. I've got mm-hmm. extra mana, so I don't need lands in the deck. Now, I've increased the lands because I went several games without hitting land drops. And if Prosper doesn't come out or Prosper gets removed, all of a sudden I've lost my draw engine. I'm not making extra mana. So I've had games where I just have to sit there for six or seven turns and I'm not able to do anything. So where do you guys think that balance is? And I know it's on a game-by-game basis. I've had plenty of games where I've got nothing but mana. But I don't. the only mana rock in this deck is Soul Ring. So what do you, what do you guys think about that? So I always generalize at... 38 to 40 lands and maybe four other mana sources um whether that's rocks or what have you in dual colored decks obviously um and maybe a little bit more in those tri-colored decks i think and, and i know we had read a some sort of survey or like a research paper or something on you know a guy did seeing that 40 land base was the sweet spot because it's it's always better to get flooded with mana it, instead of sitting there in a in a five to six man pod, <laughs> not hitting any land drop and just sitting mm-hmm. there watching your friends play magic. There's nothing worse than that. Um, so I mean, I'd rather draw into land and, and do it. Now I've went from forty 
and now I'm playing around 38 right now, 37, 38 in most of my decks. Um, if I'm, I have run in a monocolor deck, I'm running around 35, 34. Um, it really depends on the draw that you have in the deck, for me at least, and the amount of rocks and mana resources. You have treasure tokens, though. So, I mean, that's your mana rock resource right there. I mean, you're generating those. So I think I think 30, where are we at? 36 right now in this deck? Yeah. I think 36 pro- is probably yeah. a good spot. I don't, I don't see you going lower than that. I'm, I'm but, at 35 in Zyatora right now. Yeah. And that's <laughs> that's maybe that's maybe pretty... one or two. So what's what's <laughs> your uh, Aaron? Do you know off the top of your head what your uh, curve is on Zyatora? Uh, my curve on Zyatora, like the average mana cost, yeah, is three point five. Yeah. I mean, I, that's the, another the good thing point that I'm too, looking though. at is like I think. I think where you have the land right now, where where you have the mana right now, is the absolute lowest I would go because you do have such a high curve that if you're for whatever reason not able to get something going, I mean, right now Moxfield gives you kind of a breakdown on how likely you are to be able to play things on curve. When you hit uh, three mana, you have have an 80%, 78.05% chance of playing th- things on curve. I mean, that is, that's, that's before Prosper comes out. You've only got a, a 78% chance of playing something on curve. Prosper comes out turn four and you are sitting at um, 62% chance of playing something on curve. Now that doesn't take into account token generation, but you have to assume that with a, with an, average mana cost of almost four you're not going to be able to play most of your deck or a good chunk of your deck on curve until you get prosper so you're sitting with some a couple of dead turns so you're looking at like five or six before you're able to get something out and so if you're, if you're talking consider about bumping that up you're talking about quick starts too i mean we were talking about get last week and his quick starts just to put into perspective he's a land deck so i'm heavy at 38 that's my cap 38 is my cap i don't run a lot of well, we're working on taking some rocks out, but he's at sitting at 2.77 average converted mana cost for Git. So I can pump out a lot of things quick, get off quick, and hopefully maintain that level throughout the entire game. And that's, I mean, that's that's, that's a huge difference maker sometimes in those early starts of the game. Well, and I... Go ahead, Aaron. I was going to say, for, for Zyator, though, as, which was previously Bozzi... The the other caveat to mine is one I man I I just want to play cool cards Same. I don't want to I don't want to play lands but um I I also have I'm playing Juns which is red black green where you're you're playing Rakdos which is red black so I have the benefit of having a few land fetches in my deck that also help yeah. me so that's another thing to consider I I, I wouldn't go below thirty six. In fact, I would take a hard look at your deck at what cards are really, like, okay, to me, I guess you're, you know, you're transitioning into a more attack-style deck, but, like, Guild Artisan, I don't know. Guild Artisan is a one-colorless and a mountain, legendary enchantment, commander creatures you own have whenever this creature attacks a player. If no opponent has more life than that player, you create two treasure tokens. I think one of the things you might want to look at in this deck is evaluating 
do you have too much synergy? Now, obviously, you want a bunch of synergy, and you want a bunch of ways to get your treasure tokens, so you can ping stuff with your Merkwood Bats and all that other stuff, and afford your big, um, splashy cards. But is a card like Guild, Guild Artisan really going to make the difference? As opposed to, because if as opposed to another land or or something, I, I would just go through and look and see. I, I fall into the trap sometimes of having too much synergy in my deck, which sounds ridiculous, but I think there is a point where you are putting so much synergy in the deck because you find all these fun cards or all these cards that are really feeding into what you're trying to do, and then you are cutting out the sort of quote-unquote veggie cards that are like going to just help you have a consistent game and really help lay the foundations for the game plan that you have with your theme. And so I would I don't know, I would look in through that and see like do I need to have all of these cards that play from exile or all of these cards that generate treasure because you have you've never had a problem generating treasure tokens. Mm-hmm. And you've never had a problem playing things from exile. And so one or two of these could probably get cut to add a couple more lands in to just give you that little bit more consistency and tweak that variability and how many lands, because there's been a couple of games with Prosper where it's just like, and again, it does happen with every deck, just the nature of the game, but there have been games with Prosper where it just doesn't run. Yeah. And I don't think that's a, I don't think that's a testament to your deck building, but you also can't run, thir- I mean, as I told you, you can't run 35 lands and then when you don't draw any lands and you go, Oh man, I guess this is just one of those games. Cause it's also a little bit on you. Um, so if you are worried about running into those situations, I think running one or two more lands is going to help you, and I don't think it's going to hurt the deck that much because you have a great list already. Have you um, thought of adding more of those like draw discard cards that Red offers? I, I've been trying to put a little bit more of that in my, my Red decks. I, I got one in the considering list here for you. Uh, Seize the Spoils. It's a sorcery, two colorless, yep. one red. As an additional cost to cast a spell, discard a card, draw two cards, and create a treasure token. I did this one because it fits um, the theme of your deck with treasure tokens. There's another one that I think lets you draw two and get two treasure tokens. I can't remember the name of it. but Big score. He's, got it. Of, He's yeah. got it in his considering deck, yeah. There, there's just a lot of these really good um, discard, and, and I, I think this is kind of the wheelhouse maybe to lean toward if you don't want to add more lands to the deck, to add more of these dumping what you don't need out of your hand, drawing what you do, getting yourself some good draw engines um, in, in the deck to, to get you what you need to, to do what you want to do. And, and to that point, when I first came to Reckoning with this issue, I started adding cards like Deadly Dispute, which is a colorless in a swamp that says an additional cost to cast a spell, sacrifice an artifact or a creature, draw two cards, and create a treasure token. So it doesn't have me discarding, but it allows me to sack either a creature or what's likely going to be in this case, a treasure. I'm getting a treasure token back. I'm getting two cards. I also added in Reckoner's Bargain, which is a colorless in a swamp that says additional cost to cast a spell, sacrifice an artifact or a creature. You gain life equal to the sacrifice permanence mana value. It's going to be a treasure token, so I'm not going to get any life. But then I'm going to draw two cards. For sure, though, you could. You could sacrifice something to gain or to... Right. I I absolutely could so i added those types of cards and the most recent addition i made to this deck was adding in um phyrexian arena which Mm -hmm. is just a generally good you know black card a lot of people run it 
at the beginning of your upkeep, you draw a card and you lose one life for a colorless and two swamp. So the way I leaned was I, I want to try to draw more cards and, and get to my cards. Because one thing I've, I have noticed is when I cast a, a spell like Ignite the Future, which is three colorless and a mountain that says exile the top three cards of your library and until the end of your next turn you can play them. Well, if I flop three lands, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to generate treasures likely from more than one of those cards. Now, there are instances where I get to exile a, a land and I get to get that treasure token because I'm going to be able to play that the next turn. But I'm always weary of the fact that I might exile a land, burn that land, and not get to play it. Yeah. But I guess if now that I'm saying it out loud, if the alternative is not running the land in the deck, what am I gaining? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to have to take a hard look in the mirror on that one. That just sound yeah, the light bulb just went off. So like, <laughs> generally when I when I go and do like a deck, I, I always, I don't know about you, Aaron or, or Bill, or I, I always try to put five to seven sources of draw in, in the deck, whether that be spells that let me discard a draw or like um, enchantments that let me draw or anything like that. Um, obviously prosper gives you that extra card to kind of use a turn, but I, I would, and I would probably pump up a little bit more, just some draw, just to get you into what you want to do. Um, there was a card. I, Oh, go ahead. I don't. I don't think I. Th- I don't know that I think about it so much when I'm making the deck, but I. I think I try to land between ten and ten plus for draw. Yeah. It's. I mean, just, it's. It's such just a because good value. I mean, <laughs> you don't. You don't want to be turn five or turn six, and you have two or three. Like card advantage is so important in the game. Um, you don't want to be holding on to two or three cards, and in black and red. But to your point, Nick, like there's a lot of looting. There's a lot of loot draw, which is you know you draw a card, you discard a card, or you discard a card and draw a card. And a lot of of the recent design has been this impulse draw, which is what Prosper does, where you exile the card. You can play it either to the end of your turn or the end of your next turn. Um, would you have a, a decent amount of? I would looking at it right here. I don't know what what it tallies up to, but I yeah, I would definitely go through and look and see. Should you be running? More stuff like Knight's Whisper, which is two swamps. You lose two life, you draw two cards, um, stuff like that, just to really fix that. Now, I'm, I am curious. You, I think you used to run Scroll Rack in this deck. Correct? I did have Scroll why, Rack in this deck. Why did you take that out? Well, I mean, there are a couple competing things. And one is that the more decks you have, the harder it is mm-hmm. to keep all of your favorite cards in one deck. Right. Great. So so I moved Scroll Rack into AC, a, a different deck that that I have <laughs> that I'm sure we'll what, talk about. What commander is that? Uh that that is I, I did. Why don't I go ahead and pull that up just so that way I can give you guys the exact uh... the exact card here. It is a Simic Commander, AC Tyrant of the Gyre Strait. It is four colorless, a forest, and a swamp. For a 5-5, you may play an additional land on each of your turns, and whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you may draw a card. Now, it's just generally good in that deck because I'm drawing a lot of cards, I'm playing a lot of lands, and I'm going to just get to the big things that I want in that deck. The reason why I took it out of Prosper is... It's because one night when I 
I pulled it in two different games and I ran out of lands in both of those games and I got mad at it and I removed it. Now, is that a good strategy for deck building? Probably not. But does <laughs> the card leave a sour taste in my mouth? It does. Because it, it is a generally good card. Um, but that's why it's, it's a not... It's fantastic card, especially because it's going it's to fix your top deck so you know exactly what you're exiling with Prosper. And unfortunately, if you know those cards aren't going to be lands, then you're just sitting there for four turns in a row, knowing but, you're not getting lands. But that's where that's where I think you benefit from the card draw. Then you I draw agree. you draw all because the thing that I think I remember, and this this was earlier on in your Magic career, and you know you you'd never played with Scroll Rack before, but if I remember correctly, we were Nick's basement. And you were basically just spinning your wheels with scroll rack where you were drawing the three cards and putting three cards back and then drawing four cards and putting four like but it was the same pool. You you weren't getting anything new. And I think that's where you ran into an issue of one not having as much game knowledge as you do now or as much understanding of the card as you do now, in addition to you you can't just rely on that to fix all the cards. You still, I think in that situation where you're talking about where you ran low on lands or you didn't have any lands, then you need the card draw, cheap card draw like Knight's Whisper, where you're going to like churn through some of those top cards to get to more. Cause then if you draw two of those cards, the next time you hit scroll rack, you can get two cards deeper and you can put those cards that you didn't want deeper in your deck and hopefully hit a land. And then you're fixing that issue. Doesn't one of them have rebound too? Is it faith, faithless looting? Yeah, faithless looting. Is that the one cost that's got uh, rebound? Yeah, Flash I believe so. Dang. No, you're talking about uh. No, there's one that has rebound. I thought. Yeah, faithless, or uh, restoration. Faithful restoration is that what it is? Is it faithless salvaging? Yeah, that, that might be it. You so know, just, one other thing as yeah. I was going through, um, Martin, that you might want to consider with it. So I was going through your deck and just kind of remembering some of the cards that are pretty common because not only is this your most played deck, this is the most played deck at the table. Um, so you've got 18 games. The next closest is uh, my Chishiro deck um, at 15, I think. But so we've had a lot of experience with this. And one of the cards that I remember doing a lot of work for you, um, especially in some of those games that won uh, was Cryptcast, which is three colorless and a swamp that has, um, whenever you tap a swamp for mana, add an extra swamp to your mana pool. So basically it gives you a two for one, um, which has done some fantastic work for you. Uh, and then, I mean, you've got a couple other things that just give you a ton of swamp, like Urborg, uh, Tomb of Yawgmoth, which is um a legendary land each land is a swamp in addition to its other land types the problem is and i think i think there's even one other card in there that i'm not going to dig well, through to find right coffers. now yeah cabal coffers was the one the problem is uh 56 percent of your mana pips are mountains and 42 percent are swamps so I think your mana production uh is a little out of skew of what you actually need to get some of those cards out Treasure Tokens fixes a lot of that because eventually at some point it's not going to matter because you've got the treasure that can be any color. Um, but that was one thing that really stood out. Is I was like, oh, you've got so many ways to produce these swamps once you get going that it makes up for it. Your your production to um, 
to cost is almost inverse. You've mm-hmm. got 58% um, uh, black mana production and 47% mountain. And so I think that that might be something that you want to look at and see if you can find a way to swap some of that around. I, I think that's an excellent point, Bill. A uh, uh, really good observation. And I, and I think that, that kind of goes also. And I'm not, so I'm not going to try to talk you out of taking Cryptgast or Cabal Coffers out of your deck. But especially since you've gone away from the big X spells and you are still generating a lot of tokens that crackle of power, it's not like you're going to you know, neutralize crackle of power because you take some of these cards out of your deck. But these, those might be a good place to start looking where it's like, maybe I put in a different land or I put in some of these draw, like these cheaper draws and stuff like that. Because is Cabal Coffers doing enough work for you now? Now, when you were playing the deck in its earlier iterations, when you were dropping uh, Torment of Hailfire and stuff like that, it was, it was really fueling those big X spells. Even if the, your swamp, you know, uh, needs in the deck weren't as high as Bill pointed out, um, but now that you're not really relying on that, you're more looking at treasures. I don't know that you necessarily need something like Cabal Coffers in there. Again, I'm not talk, trying to talk you out of it, but there might be a case for adding just a regular land or, again, some of this some of this other draw to just get you the cards that you need other than more mana. No, I think that's a good point. And, and those Cabal Coffers I got early on when I built this deck. Um, but inclusion of things like Urborg, which again is turning each of my lands into a swamp, so that specifically pairs with either Cryptgast, because then if I all I have is swamps, I'm doubling every land mm-hmm. that I have. And then Cabal Coffers is uh, I pay two colorless and tap it and add a swamp for each swamp you control. When I was building out the deck and I was thinking, man, I don't want to run more lands in this deck. What can I do? I was trying to figure out ways to cheat out mana. So I have things like that in there. And, and I do have a couple ways to cheat out red mana. They're one-shot cheat outs, though. So they're far yeah. less productive. But there are things like Mana Geyser, which is three colorless and two mountains for add a mountain to your mana pool for each tapped land your opponent's control. Or something like Jessica's Will, which is two colorless in a mountain that says choose one. If you control a commander as you cast a spell, you can choose both and you add a mountain for each card in a target opponent's hand and then you exile the top three cards of your library and you may play them this turn. But I think that's a really good point now that I'm kind of stepping back and looking at this deck in that... I think it's more productive to have additional draw over some of these types of land combos, especially with something like Cable Cabal Coffers, because that that doesn't just tap for mana regularly, mm-hmm. right? Yep. It's not it's not really a land unless I have Urborg out or I have four other lands, so I can actually tap. Correct. The, the Cabal Coffers. So I think you guys are right that I do need to take a look at that. And this has been really helpful for me because I'm by no means a great deck builder at this point. I, I, I have been putting a lot of work into learning the game and practicing the game, but these are all things that I think are really good to think about globally in all of my decks. And I think this is really good. To, to the point, too, and I just want to stress this, too, because I, I love good utility lands, so I don't know that my first step would be removing Cabal Coffers from the deck. I'm looking at your basics. So you have 11 mountains and 13 swamps. I don't think it's 
unheard of to just take a few of those swamps and replace them with mountains to try to fix your your face a little bit that way too so i mean i would maybe take five swamps and have five mountains put in just to i mean i would maybe start there to see how it feels before removing some of these crazy good utility lands from the deck but that that would be just me because i i I still think that you can rely in like a late game x spell and and still have these Mm -hmm. things happen you know where, where you can utilize Cryptgast and Cabal Coffers and dish out an, insor- an insane amount of damage with like Banefire, which is an X and a mountain for it deals X damage to any target. I mean, if you're down to you and somebody else and it's late game and you have this stuff out, what better card to draw into than Banefire and just to take somebody out with that? But I guess that would be me. I, I don't know that I would yeah. start with the utility lands. I might start with your basics at this point because I, I think... I think if if you swap that, it could it could fix a little bit of the problem. I think you're right, and and funnily enough, I I think I just completely have overlooked as I've been making iterations to this deck the fact that I was changing out, you know, black cards for red cards because there's really mm-hmm. no reason why I would have more swamps in this deck than mountains. Yeah. Um. So that's just an oversight, and and one of those things where you don't you don't even realize it. So having extra eyes even though if you've got someone like aaron that's just constantly teching your decks mm-hmm. it's good true. it's true i have the anti-tech eyes though so that's why i was so, like maybe just take the swamps and switch them so speaking of <laughs> speaking of anti-tech uh speaking of tech going into my considerations um my pet card red audacious swap it's three colorless and a red for an instant it has casualty two so as you cast a spell, you may sacrifice a creature with power 2 or greater when you do copy the spell, and you may choose a new target for this copy. And the owner of target non-enchantment permanent shuffles it into their library, then exiles the top card of their library. If it's a land card, they put it on the battlefield. Otherwise, they may cast it without paying its mana cost. Another, just, another good way to get rid of things that are either indestructible or artifacts or um, other like, or you can use it on yourself, because again, you can sacrifice a creature and exile two treasure tokens and cast two things off the top, getting two treasure tokens. Um, I really like that spell for its flexibility. I also think uh, for the tech part of it, um, I think Douthy Voidwalker, it's a pretty popular card. Uh, it's two, card. two swamp for a creature, a Douthy Rogue. It's a 3-2. It has shadow, so this creature can only, or this creature can block or be blocked only by creatures with shadow, so it's going to be unblockable 99.9% of the time. And if a card would be put into an opponent's graveyard from anywhere, instead exile it with a void counter on it, and then you can tap and sacrifice Douthy Voidwalker to choose an exiled card an opponent owns with a void counter on it, and you may play it this turn without paying its mana cost. Listen, we were just talking about Gitrog last week. I was going to say, are we teching Gitrog right now? I mean, not just Gitrog. I mean, you want to talk about Catherill? I, I think at this point, <laughs> I think at this point in the game, you know, we've talked about Martin and his deck shaping some of the meta early on with in terms of board wipes and shifting how people are trying to keep things on the board. Well, I, I think we're entering an era of, in the, uh, you know, period in the pod where more, I mean, before it was really just Olivia and uh, Catherine that had stuff in the graveyard that was really being interacted with. Well, now we have Gitrog. 
Bill demonstrated with uh, with Kyler a few weeks ago. He had um, Moreland Rescuer that flipped his entire board and won the game with Kyler. I, I think we're getting to a point where the graveyard is becoming more interactive with, um, and I think Delty is going to tech that and also give you the really good stuff. Yeah. Um, I see that on the board when I'm playing Catherine and I played buried alive. Well, now you're, I, I can't get my best creatures. Now I got to go and, you know, throw that card away essentially, because you're going to stop me from getting what I want. Um, and then also a, f- a funnier one that would be a direct get tech is Hedonist Trove. It's five colorless and two swamps for a black enchantment. When Hedonist Trove enters the battlefield, exile all cards from target opponent's graveyard. You may play land cards, exile with Hedonist Trove, and you may cast non-land cards, exile with Hedonist Trove. You, can ca- you can't cast more than one spell this way each turn. Now... Huh. Again, this isn't just about get. I I do think that there's a case to be made that you cast a spell. You have a, you have a ton of mana, so the seven cost isn't negligible, or it's, it's pretty negligible. But then also you have treasures, which is going to get around the mana requirements because you can't use mana of any color. So now you've got treasures to deal with that. You can play lands if you're not finding the lands, but which for seven, hopefully you have some lands already. But then also. People are removing big threats. If somebody removes a big threat and it goes into their graveyard, well, now you can just take that and use that to your advantage. It, I don't know that it's going to... It's not going to improve your deck, I don't think, but I think it is a fun card. It's a little expensive in terms of mana, but I do think that it could be interesting and, and potentially be a, a good utility tech against quite a few decks at the table. Um, and really kind of box somebody out. Well, ironically enough, I had a black card in this deck that did something similar. And I think a lot of people are familiar with it. It's it's Turgrid, God of Fright. Three colorless and two swamp for a menace, four, five. Whenever an opponent sacrifices a non-token permanent or discards a permanent card, you may put that card from a graveyard onto the battlefield under your control. And the thing is, about it, it, it's twofold. One, it felt like it was teching certain decks at the table i never got it out but i felt like having it in the deck was going to take away from other people's overall deck experiences like a git or something like that but then also it just wasn't very synergistic aside from taking people's cards which is a sub theme of prosper so i took that out and i think that just brings up a broader conversation and we don't need to have it now but just are we thinking about other people's experiences when we're playing specific cards? And that's something I'm trying to look more at when I'm taking out board wipes and things like that. But that's just one of those situations where I I took it out, hoping that it would make some people have a better time at the table. I'll tell you right now, in terms of Turgrid specifically, from what I understand in the broader magic community, people hate that card. And I can't, I mean, I, I, I just from what I understand, only because, yeah, people don't really want to see all of their cards played against them. Now I run Turgrid in one of my decks, and honestly, I don't think the few times that I've gotten her out hasn't made a big difference, because I think people mostly tolerate Turgrid now because they understand, I'm just not going to let you play that card. If she gets on the board, everybody's coming for you. Mm-hmm. But also, in terms of your deck, I don't really see why you would run it in this deck. You're not making people discard cards. 
You're not really making people sacrifice stuff. You have a couple cards in here for that, but I wouldn't put it. I wouldn't put a whole other card in there just to key off of one or two cards. Um, just for that specifically. Now, for the broader conversation, I think it depends because when we're talking about graveyard hate, everybody has a graveyard. And I think we've demonstrated that almost every single color has a way of getting things out of the graveyard or interacting with the graveyard. I don't believe that you should rule out graveyard hate just because only a couple decks at our table specifically benefit from the graveyard in, in as a core of their as the core of their theme. Because I mean, if if Bill's running Kyler and you want to keep removing Kyler because Kyler makes humans big, makes Bill swing out. Well, is that to say, well, I shouldn't play any removal because then I'll remove Kyler and then Bill won't have his big creatures. Well, yeah, that sucks for Bill, but that's also like the game. Mm-hmm. And you can't, I don't believe that magic is a game where you're required to ensure that other people are having fun. Agreed. Now, that's not to say that you shouldn't help your friends have fun with the game, but I don't think that, I don't think that stopping their decks to the extent of like, Oh, I, if I, if, if he, if he operates in his graveyard, he wins the game. Mm-hmm. If he doesn't, he loses the game and being like, well, I want my friend to have fun. So I guess I'll just let him win because I won't put anything to deal with the graveyard. That's a lousy strategy because that's just enabling you to lose, I guess. And that to me, if I win a game with a graveyard deck because nobody at the table is willing to put in a soul guide lantern, well, I don't know. Well, why do I want to run this deck then? Because now it's like, there's no, there's less of a challenge. They say there's no challenge. I'd also like to speak on this as one of the primary graveyard deck players in our pod. I liked a challenge. Yeah. So if I saw something like the one that you just suggested, the Void Walker, Death of Void Walker, come out, that's an immediate challenge for me. Because at that yes. point in the game, no one has challenged my strategy. Mm-hmm. And if I see that come out, then I need to deal with that. Otherwise, I'm not going to win the game. So as a competitive person myself, I would honestly like to see those things more because I want the challenge of beating the decks at their best when they're yeah. coming at me for my strategy. So if if you just sit there and let me play my deck and don't do anything to me, then it's not as much of a win as it is just letting watching me play. Yeah. So I, I like these additions because one you're switching up and you're you're kind of punishing those players that play graveyard decks which is probably good because Mm -hmm. that will force us to then adjust our strategy to get around that and that will just elevate us at the same time you know so i think yeah but you're you're also helping other people at the table inadvertently Mm -hmm. to have a better experience because if if if, if other people aren't running graveyard hate so that Catherine or Git or Olivia or whatever else is running graveyard stuff is able to run rampant. Well, now other people, I mean, is everybody at the table just going to cheer Nick and I on? Y- oh, yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Go <laughs> off, King. 
No, like, I mean, yeah, they will because we all love each other. But also, it's going to be like, well, there's nothing we, I can do to stop them. Where there is something you could do, other people are going to yeah. appreciate and, you for that. Oh, love and there's it. something to be said about, like, just having a couple of cards yeah. that have some of that graveyard hate as opposed to having an entire deck. And that's another conversation <laughs> that we have frequently of, like, you know... There has been times in our history where decks have been built that are complete and opposite tech. Uh, we're not going to bring any of them up. Nick and Aaron are, you know, there's blood coming out of their mouths. Uh, but it's also a conversation of, you know, for example, not bringing uh, Nick's decks into this. I have Saravak, which is... Um, uh, a deck that permanents leave the battlefield or you lose life. I don't play that deck against Aaron's treasure deck, Zayatora or Vazi, because everybody's getting treasure tokens when he's got Vazi out. Permanents are going to be there. It shuts my deck down. I just don't play it. I don't want him to not play his deck. He doesn't want, we just communicate about, that's why the importance of rule zero Mm -hmm. of, you know, we've got these decks are that are inadvertently not made to tech each other in most cases. Um, But we just communicate about what decks we're playing. So if you're, if you're just running a graveyard hate deck, that'd be something where make it, have fun with it. Don't play it against Get Rock. I do. I like definitely that play it against Cap. And, and, I, and I also, I also want to say that, like, I was mostly joking about the tech. Like, it is obviously good tech against graveyard play, but Dowthy Voidwalker and Hedonist Trove are both just. They're also just cards that are going to enable the play style of your deck already. Yeah, it's just good for like, the deck. It's just good for the deck. So I don't think anybody is going to feel bad when you put when you play cards that are good against certain strategies, but also are just like synergistic with your deck so that's why i think they're smart additions because if i'm not playing catherine or nick's not playing get rock you're still going to get value out of those cards you didn't just put one card in there to say oh in case they play one of these decks i'm going to screw them up like you're still yeah. going to get value out of those cards regardless of the deck that's being played so i think totally those are, I, I think those are, are good those are good considerations absolutely and with that, I think that we're going to, I'm going to cut it off there because it's getting late and some of us have a bedtime. Um, uh, Martin, do you have any final thoughts as we wrap up? I think overall, my final thoughts are just that, you know, no matter how long you spend looking at a deck, and again, I've played this deck more times than anyone else has played another deck this season in our pod. It, it always, flex, okay. yeah, it always feels like there's, some additions or subtractions that can be made, but at the end of the day, I think it's important to play decks enough times to realize where their faults are and not mm-hmm. just make changes without actually playing the decks. Cause I've made that mistake before. So I'm just thankful that you guys gave me some solid suggestions and I'm going to take a look at the deck again and hopefully, uh, you know, get some more kills on the board. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. Cool. And with that, we're going to wrap up the podcast. Um, Thanks for listening. Uh, Feel free to follow us on the socials, on the X, on threads, wherever you can find us, at DeckPicksPod. Take a look at our mocks field to see the deck list as well as suggestions. And you uh, have a good day. Thank you. That's it. Thank Thank you.
thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Deck Picks Podcast. You can find us on social media at Deck Picks Pod, and you can find us on Moxfield under the same username, and we'll be posting links to this deck with all of our suggestions under the considering. Feel free to take a look, let us know, like, comment, subscribe, and thank you for spending time with us today.